What is good, everybody? It's your host, Fuad, back at it with another banger episode of Shoot Your Shot. Today, we cover the instant classic historic Eastern Conference Finals between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. The Miami Heat culture always opts in to go the hardest possible route to get to where they want to go, their goal, which is another Finals berth with headlined by Jimmy Butler. However, we saw Boston melt down last night as we're going to get into later this episode. One point of contention is that Caleb Martin should have won the Eastern Conference Finals MVP award, and I'd like to preface this episode by saying he barely lost to Jimmy Butler, which got five out of nine votes, and Caleb got four out of nine. He is nonetheless getting the recognition he deserves all over social media. Everybody's saying he got robbed. However, I do not disagree with the selection, even though I think he should have won. Jimmy is the reason they got to where they are today. And as we're going to break it down later this episode, without further ado, let's get right into the news. Kind of interesting because last time we spoke, it was game three, right after game three of the Eastern Conference Finals. So lots transpired since then. Uh, To say the least. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Honestly. Game seven, you got Paul Pierce coming out. You got pretty much like the entire Red Sox team from that 04 series being called up. Everyone's like trying to have their good voodoo transfer over to tonight's game. Pretty sure you mentioned that they wanted to like block off a whole section in TD Garden for them, but they just watched from home. They tried to pass you guys that good zen. However, Boston came out the definition of the word flat, but honestly, a lot of it, I think, is attributed to Jason Tatum rolling his ankle. I thought he was going to go for at least 50, just like he did in last uh, the last Game 7 uh, versus Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers. However, after the very first possession in the game, he rolled his ankle quite badly, and you could see it on his face for the rest of the game. He was pretty much limping the entire time. Boston is... Pr- 0 for 48 on threes as of the first quarter of this game seven going back to game six so that's pretty much reminding me of the houston rockets when they were up three two against uh golden state and then they had a stretch in the second half where they were like 0 for 34 they pretty much lived and died by the three just like mozzarella sticks or should i say coach Missoula employs his team to play um boston came out 0 for 12 to start off the game from three and then Al Horford sunk a three that was a swish from the top of the key they only ended up with 15 points scored in a quarter which is by far the lowest they've had all season including the regular season and then we had Miami go on a 19 to 4 run I think Miami's defense helped them a lot to get back into the game and to prevent Boston from ever catching up every time you guys made it within like six or seven points Miami would get a steal or a stop and then end up putting it back to 10 plus and then I I thought the timeout you guys called in the third quarter was pretty smart because you guys went on a 7-0 run yourselves however after then Miami pretty much just clawed back into it like they have been this entire game what are your thoughts yeah I mean you mentioned it the three-point shooting took the Celtics out of it you only score 15 in a quarter, they only let up 22 points, which isn't terrible, but that's also the best their defense played all game, which doesn't bode very well for the Celtics. And like games four through six, as we'll talk about, they really they use defense to create offense, you know, getting a lot of turnovers at game five on Miami, things like that. And last game, they could use their defense to overcome the fact that they could only sink 20% of their threes in today's game. No, they couldn't. Uh, yeah. Tatum rolling his ankle, slowed him down. He didn't really look like himself. Uh, you know, Derek white was really the only guy who came out and uh, was really making the shots, you know, playing good defense. I mean, uh, speaking of the Jays, Jalen Brown had as many, Field goals made as turnovers today with eight. And that's that's just brutal. You, you can't have that from your star, especially a second-team All-NBA guy. You're maybe hoping to sign to a Supermax this offseason. That, that, that's just a rough way to go out. 
Yeah. Rough and to say the least. Brown had a really rough series. Yeah. He was, I think, 16% from three the series. Yeah, it didn't help his performance tonight with going one for nine from three either. Nobody on the entire Celtics yeah. squad tonight had more than 20 points. You guys shot an abysmal 21% from three as well, just like last game. Nine for 42 this game and seven for 35 last game. So honestly, mm-hmm. that's a really, really bad aggregate number from three. I think you guys relied a little bit too much on that three-point shot rather than trying to get your ball movement, carrying your offense for you like you did just in those games. Four to just six. a little bit. Just a little bit. It was very frustrating that first half, watching them not attack the paint at all, uh, especially because that can be a good source of points, whether it's you know, Jay's driving, so getting Tatum in there for some easy buckets, you know, getting the lob to Rob. It's a Celtics favorite, or at least Celtics fan favorite, shall we say. They they just just didn't have any of that going. You know, Smart didn't really play well this game after he looked quite good last game. Just and then Al Horford has really shown his age the last two series. Yeah, one hundred. So I think it was just just a rough ending to what was a very bipolar uh a good series word for, for the Celtics. And it's a really good word for quite it. literally, yeah. And it was a shaky playoff run for them in general. Yeah. You could see the cracks starting as early as the Yeah, all all because of bad defense, which yeah, I I don't want to reminisce too much on the Ime Udoka days because obviously that came to an unfortunate end for a reason. Uh, and the reality is even last year, Celtics were a pretty terrible uh, crunch time team, but they managed to overcome that with their blistering defense mm-hmm. that could quite often turn into offense, even though some of the offensive rotations and schemes they ran in the playoffs last year were actually pretty bad. I mean, yeah. game, one, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals last year was very similar this year. Yeah, you know, they always scored 14 points. So, yeah, it's a I rough think... ending. But this year, Celtics just couldn't play that consistent defense. You know, Miami yeah. was a lot better on that end of the floor tonight. Yeah, and I think that's kind of combined with your guys' lack of ball movement. I think you guys tried to resort a lot to hero ball when it came to this Game 7. Rather than using your top two players in actions together. So, for example, rather than, like, getting a dribble handoff between the limping Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to try to get one of them an open shot. Like you saw Jason Tatum, he nailed one one out of his four uh, three-point attempts. So he could have been relegated to that um, spot-up shooter role rather than like running a lot through him and having him uh, kind of like dribble and maintain the ball's possession. He didn't have that much of a high of a usage rate this game because of his limping foot. But I still think you guys should have ran a lot more plays using your top two players rather than relying on iso ball and hero ball late in the stretch, especially when you were down. This can be seen with the total assist numbers for this game seven. You guys only had 18 assists, whereas Miami Heat had 26. So Miami, even though they wait a lot more and slow the game down in the half court to try to find either Jimmy Butler or another person the best possible shot they can they still end up moving the ball a little bit more. And that's the way the Celtics usually play offense when it comes to the regular season or even earlier this playoffs. Mm -hmm. However, this game seven, I think it was a lot more stationary instead of running plays using your two-star players, like even maybe just set a screen and then either pick and pop or roll to the basket just to create mismatches on the other defensive side of the ball. You guys just resorted too much to that ISO 1v1 where uh, Brown essentially just got ripped most of the time. He either lost his dribble or Jimmy uh, plucked him from behind or anything along those lines. So that's essentially how that game went out for you guys. I thought Derek White last game did a lot to try to get you by guys, uh, buy you guys a lifeline, get you another last shot at it. But then the voodoo, unfortunately, was really unlucky in terms of Tatum just getting injured on the very first possession of this game, which pretty much just had you guys having a whimper and change your game plan live, which is not the best execution plan that you guys would like to have going into a situation like this. No, and you're totally right. I mean, even last year, 
you know, going all the way back to like January 2022. Uh, ISO ball, what, you know, where the Celtics were just chucking up threes, hoping they would go in, and not really moving the ball around, as you said, creating mismatches, kind of trying to space the floor better to get guys open looks. You know, that just wasn't happening today. Uh, it was very reminiscent of the sort of darker times last season. It's kind of interesting, even with the new coach, it's, yeah, even though I don't think Missoula has helped elevate that them, so to speak, in the way I would, would have hoped, yeah, the reality is the players are also resorting back, back to some old bad habits. Exactly. Came about from last year. So another interesting little question, I guess. Uh Obviously, Jimmy Buckets has been on a mission, and that's been clear since even since the uh, second play in game. You could kind of tell the seeds are being planted, and then, you know, the, the plants really grew in that first round against Milwaukee. You know, Jimmy's averaged a little over 30 points per game, I think 31 or 32 these playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. And he's actually under 30 because of his uh, last he's under 30 games, now. four to seven or four to six in this mm-hmm. Eastern Conference final berth. He's down to 28 and a half. So just under 30. Okay. Second so, among, like, he... uh, active players in this playoff run to Jokic is 30 points a game. Got it. That makes sense. Which does how well the Celtics played that those games four through six, but you know, rough for game seven. Jimmy put up 28 tonight, so close to why he's averaging. Exactly. My question, though, is Jimmy Butler's been lights out, you know, and was ultimately given the second annual Eastern Conference Finals MVP, which is not an award I really put any value on. And I, I say this as someone who's uh, who a player on his favorite team won last year, but I mean, it's a conference finals MVP. It's like a participation. Anyways, do you think it should have gone to Jimmy Butler or one Caleb Martin who had 26 points and 10 rebounds tonight on 68.8% shooting from the field, which is pretty much the story of him. Most of this playoffs, but especially this series. Look, so when you put both of their stats in a vacuum, Jimmy had a lot more points per game, a lot more steals per game, a lot more assists per game, all that. But the efficiency in which Caleb Martin played, I think, nodded him that award or should have ended up giving him that award because his field goal percentage for this entire series was close to 60% on the dot. And then his shooting from three was blistering hot at 49%. And that's not on like two or three attempts a game. That's on six and a half attempts a game. So when you have somebody shooting 50% on essentially 7.3 point attempts per game while guarding your opposition second to first best player every single possession, I think that should have ended up going to him. They're saying they're coming out and saying uh, Jimmy Butler's game high 28 points, whereas Caleb Martin took 10 less shots than him and had two less points than him. So honestly, I think there's a lot of comments all over social media saying that Caleb got robbed. However, I think Jimmy Butler got it because he's the guy that got them all the way up to this point, even though it's dubbed as an Eastern Conference Finals Award. I think it's essentially kind of that participation playoffs up until the finals award, like you just alluded to yourself. So I think if you put their entire stats in comparison, then Jimmy should have gotten it. But given off of its name purely, I think Caleb was definitely the second best player on that team and should have been the person to get this award specifically just for their team's morale because Jimmy Butler, if they end up winning the finals, will 100% get that um, finals MVP. However, that's something we're going to get into later this episode. That's a slim possibility. But nonetheless, uh, that's nothing to take away from Jimmy Butler's game. I just think Caleb Martin came in more clutch with significantly less shot attempts, which proved his efficiency to be a key factor for them to end up being victorious over the Boston Celtics. So I definitely think Caleb Martin got robbed. But um, a lot interesting of more stats going into this game. 
you pretty much have the Miami Heat, which is the second ever eighth seed to reach the finals after the 98-99 Knicks, which also ended up losing in the NBA finals. And then on top of that, you have the Celtics, which are pretty much very dominant in the Eastern Conference nowadays, reaching their fifth Eastern Conference final appearance in the last seven seasons. So that's not to take away anything from your Celtics. However, I think even though the Miami Heat was the eighth seed this time around, kind of weird that the Celtics beat them last season when the Miami Heat was the first seed. And then now with the Miami Heat being the eighth seed with a lot less players than they had, like they didn't have P.J. Tucker, which was instrumental to the last year's playoff run. I think P.J. Mm-hmm. Tucker kind of embodied Caleb Martin in this series to go back to the question that you just asked me. I think Caleb Martin accentuated and approved his game a lot more. He pretty much ended up being everywhere where the Miami Heat wanted him to be in this series in terms of getting a lot of rebounds. Like, I'm pretty sure he had a double-double last game off rebounds alone. So he was that guy that got them every second chance opportunity at 6'5". He's getting you like over 10 rebounds a game, which is just insane for someone his size going against someone as big as the Boston Celtics. And then on top of that, you just have him diving for every hustle ball, every 50-50 ball. He's essentially an extension of Marcus Smart on the Miami Heat. Yeah, it's funny. The Heat role players really came through. That's why I say the Celtics defense was not good in this series. The number of times that either Martin or Gabe Vincent or Max Struess or even Duncan Robinson were wide open for threes was insane. It sort of Almost felt like the Celtics were attempt were, uh, yeah, they were daring them to shoot the ball, and it was sort of an f around or fuck around and find out type of thing for them. I feel like, yeah, they were like, you know, you guys can shoot the ball. We know you were one of the worst uh, shooting teams in in the regular season, like bottom five, I believe. Uh, but of course, the playoffs are always different. And Miami's always different in the playoffs. One other thing I find funny too is, you know, this year with the the Celtics and last year with the Heat, you know, their fan bases getting to watch their teams take an L on the home floor in Game Seven, and not see their favorite players <laughs> move on to the finals. It's uh kind of funny in the case of last year, less so in the case of this year. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny for but me this year, it, so I'll take it. <laughs> it. It's 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 just funny how the two fan bases have traded pain basically over the course of a year. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just also going back to Caleb Martin's performances, even when the Heat lost, he was pretty much their only player that showed up. So, for example, on game four, you had him not missing in the entire first half. He was six for six. And then just going through all the rest of the games, he in game six, he was... The only guy with 12 points in the first quarter, but then he pretty much only mm-hmm. had six for the rest of the game. But his impact didn't go unnoticed. He kept grabbing those loose balls. He had a double-double. He was just an instrumental part in that heat comeback late in game six, which had a lot of controversy. So you had a lot of refing issues. Which brings me to another uh, another cool point I want to discuss is actually when I looked up the refs for this uh, tonight's game for game seven, you had Tony Brothers and Scott Foster, which are with the Heat when they've uh, ref the Heat 0 and 10. That's the Heat's record when those two refs were refing Heat games. So now it's 1 and 10, which is absolutely insane. But I am pretty sure the refs couldn't save Boston tonight, even if they tried to, given their poor performance when, especially from three. But going back to game six, there was a lot of uh, controversial calls at the end of that late game situation. The ones I want to cover are when Jalen Brown put a putback dunk attempt and essentially nobody touched him and he got called for a foul. And then the Tatum offensive rebound where he stumbled out of bounds and Duncan Robinson was just standing behind him. Duncan Robinson got called for the foul. And then another one is when Smart and Duncan Robinson, Smart pretty much pushed Robinson away from him. And then Robinson also Mm -hmm. got called for the foul. And I'm going to cover when Jason, uh, or sorry, Jimmy Butler was dribbling to that late corner at the end of the shot clock. There is a lot of people that are saying that he double dribbled, but I think 
the he was essentially gathering the ball because Al Horford bumped into him, which caused him to lose uh, possession of the ball at that time. So him getting rid of it again because of Horford's contact deems it a legal play. Or that's at least an explanation I watched from a head referee that broke it down. That's why the refs didn't end up calling it, even though they went back and reviewed it. And then he got his three free throws. And then the last controversial call I want to get into briefly here is when Miami had their first lead in the fourth quarter, it was 84 to 83. It was the first time they led since like the first quarter of that game. And then the refs gave the Boston Celtics five consecutive free throws. It was one off a tech, one off another call, and then two off um, uh, Jalen Brown missing the shot. And then I think they gave them another free throw over that as well. So the score went back to Boston being 86 and then Miami staying at their 84 mark because of the back-to-back-to-back-to-back free throws. The refs awarded the Boston Celtics. And then on top of that, you have the Boston Celtics just struggling late game, going back to their old habits, as we alluded to earlier, where they would not run plays with their top two players, not even a dribble handoff, not even setting a screen. They would just try to ISO with Al Horford trying to set like some kind of ghost screen because he's a little bit older now, so he can't do it as well as he used to. And then maybe try to get Jason Tatum on a back door. However, Jason, uh, Jimmy Butler was there for most of those attempts. And if he wasn't, Bam was that last line of defense, just pretty much like rejecting Tatum, which gave you a lot of shadows from the 2020 Eastern Conference final, uh, finals uh, matchup where uh, I don't know if you remember, but Tatum wanted to yam that dunk and then Bam pretty much blocked it last chance. In the oh, trust right me. There. I, I remember watching that live. That exactly. was another exactly. heartbreaking moment for us Celtics fans against these. So you had that happen again in this game where Bam pretty much stuffed Tatum's like uh, second chance opportunity. So on top of all of that, you guys got another controversial call, which was the added time. A lot of people are saying that the contact happened with about two and a half seconds left. And the contact that happened at three seconds wasn't the foul call. It was the bump that caused the Jimmy uh, Butler double dribble to become a legal play. And then so a lot of the, that to kind of talk about here briefly. But uh, obviously, that's in maybe, the past. Uh, that doesn't really matter. But it's just maybe, like maybe the, maybe, the one I, maybe the one I find the most interesting. So so going through a couple of the ones you mentioned, the the. Smart hook should have been called an offensive foul. That was bad. Like even even my friends I was texting during the game who are Celtics fans were like, yeah, that looked like a, a hook on Marcus Smart. Um, but the one I find the most interesting was the last Al Horford foul on Jimmy Butler. Uh yeah, what I think ended up happening. So that, that one was kind of interesting. It in some ways hurt the Celtics to have Joe Missoula review that play. Cause here's what would have happened. Originally it was called a two point foul or a foul like in front yeah, of the arm, a regular shooting, foul. which would have given Jimmy Butler only two free throws, but it also would have only, it would have meant that there was 2.1 seconds on the clock. But what ended up happening was they went back and reviewed it they ended up calling that initial contact on Jimmy Butler as the foul. And what hurt Boston was, it was a three point foul, which what was in my opinion, the correct call like that definitely took place behind the arc. Um, But it did mean that time was going to be put back on the clock. The other thing we need to remember too, when we're watching is the clock on the TV may or may not necessarily reflect the the actual game clock or the, the actual shot clock. Um, so I think in this case, it was ultimately the correct call altogether. Jimmy should have gotten those three free throws, but also it probably was the correct call to put the time back on the clock. Um, that was a tough one, though. And as for the double dribble bit, I personally would have given Jimmy the benefit of the doubt there. It did look like... Horford, you know, either knocked it loose from the bump or whatever else have you. Um, that being said, I think if it had been called a double dribble, that would have been hard to, well, I don't really think you can review those types of plays, but mm-hmm. that would have been hard to like overturn or argue against. 
Yeah, I, I think it was a good no call. Double dribble, though. So that was messy. And then ultimately, yeah. you know, reg- refs, refs aside, uh, of course, also knowing that when the Celtics had double digit lead, Jimmy got, I think, like eight or 10 free throws in a row, which, you know, I don't think that's like three for 19. He's still like, yeah, exactly. So, line, yeah. but it's like moment, it's momentum shifting. I don't think the rest caused the heat to come back. I think the Celtics starting to try to dribble out the clock and kind of do that thing they do on offense was what hurt them. And then they just got really lucky that Struess decided to double team up on Tatum to make sure he couldn't get that inbounds pass from Derek White. Of course, they didn't stop Derek White from crashing the board, which, I mean, we all, we've all seen the play now. Yeah, it made history. Instant classic. And then you had the entire Celtics squad shooting over from three. Nobody else except for Marcus Smart and Derek White made threes that whole game. Only, only the on guards were, that, were making threes. That's crazy. Exactly. And then on top of that, you guys had your worst three-point shooting performance the entire season, regular season included, which was a horrible 20%, which was equivalent to seven for 35 on threes. So when you go back to even games four and five, where in game four, for example, you shot 18 for 45 from three, which was a even 40%, which begs that record for that game four at the time where you, where you guys were at 37 and two in games that you shot over 40% from three at. So that is essentially the entire wavelength you guys have been adopting this entire series in which you continue to live and die by the three um goes back to what i've been saying earlier i think you guys should simply just employ more plays with your top two players included which if ends up having a wide open in rhythm shot you can shoot the three absolutely that's a really good shot however you see al horford many times when he's the biggest player on the court just passing up layups to get like a wide open corner three and then i say passing up layups because there are a lot of time in this entire series where the biggest player on the floor was Jimmy Butler for the Heat at 6-7 because you got Bam leaving and then Spolstra stopped playing Kevin Love and um, the other center they're playing and pretty much just went Zeller, to... Zeller, I believe. Cody, Cody Zeller. Zeller, yeah. He just went to Aaron... Uh, he just went to Highsmith every time he wanted to like have another five come in and he, then he would just go... like People today say in the NBA, you're going small when your center is like 6-9. We were talking about like an ultra small lineup because your only your tallest player was Butler at six seven at the small forward position, and then you had Highsmith at six five playing your center. So, like at that point, when you're Al Horford and you're six eleven, even though you're thirty six, you can just have a free two anytime you back someone else in the post. And if you don't, and if you have them W, then feel free to kick it out. But there was a lot of times where he was being. He was backing down Highsmith. He was backing down Gabe Vincent sometimes. And he would just pass open a wide open layup to get a three-point opportunity. And then given the way you guys started this game specifically in game seven, 0 for 12 from three, pretty much going back to game four where you guys started winning, you just had the three falling in the games that you won. And then with the exception of game six, you did not win the games where you shot poorly from three. So I think that goes back to the whole coaching saga. I think you guys should focus a lot more on just employing a lot more plays with your top two players so you can get those mismatches on the other side and then keep the defense guessing because at some point, these are all professional NBA players and they're all really good players because we're talking about an Eastern Conference Finals matchup here. So they both beat two really good teams to get here. So when you keep doing the same strategy over and over again, they're going to catch up to what you're doing and it's not going to keep working. So you have to keep them guessing in terms of just like employing fresh plays with your top two players to try to get those mismatches on the other side. However, when the Miami Heat knows that you guys are just going to end up kicking it out for three every time, their zone defense seemed to play really well against that strategy because I'm pretty sure they showed a graphic at one point throughout this game. You guys shot under 25%, as in the Boston Celtics shot under 25% every time the Miami elected to go zone on defense. Because it worked so well under those 
like just uh, wanting to get a free lane to the rim and then kick it out for a three rather than settling for a two. I'm pretty sure Brown was the only player that kept choosing to get to the bucket in game six, which ended up keeping you guys in the game when Miami was making their late run. And, and everyone else just elected to shoot the three and go for threes. And then you saw Tatum himself in game four when you guys were facing elimination. He put down his threes significantly and just started going to the rack. And then he ended up with a historic performance. So I think you guys have a lot to think of when you're going into the offseason. If you're going to pay Jalen Brown, you got uh, Tatum, you got players like Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White locked up for multiple seasons like Marcus Smart. You got Grant Williams that's a free agent this summer. I'm not sure if you guys want to bring him back because of the whole poking the bear situation. But you guys definitely have a lot to think of when it comes to just like the coaching idea and like the plays you guys want to run and then just figuring out ways to essentially stop giving up leads when you guys are so comfortable late in the fourth. Just figuring out a way to stay together and all be on the same page when it comes to playing well defensively so you can feed off that defense and create easy offense for yourselves and even create a bigger gap in the point differential regardless of where you are in terms of how big your lead is. But when it comes to you guys just putting your foot on the brakes and resting a little bit, you find Miami, which has done it more than four times this very series, come back from late game in more than 10 and end up winning the game. Yeah, it's one of the guys that should be mentioned here, Al Horford. Even at the start of this game, when Tatum got hurt, there was uh, he, he could have gone for that Two, he was like right under the hoop, could have gotten a layup, but he instead kicked it out to Tatum, who instead taking the three decided to do a crazy Euro step into yeah, Vincent. Bam, bam, and didn't work out at all. Twisted his ankle, completely destroyed the entire game. Uh, but going back to the point you were talking about more recently, just a second ago, you know, thinking about next year, you know, Al, Al Harvard's another guy. Yeah, I want him around. You know, he's been great to have on the Celtics and going to the finals with him last year was was quite special, as even though it ended in a loss. Uh but he's 36. You know, his body's failing on not not failing on him significantly, but yeah, you know, 36 he's just it not wears on you quite be. a bit. He he's not a guy that can really be a starter he's more like a 15 to 18 minutes off the bench agreed type of guy and i, I you saw that in his three-point shooting you know even going as far back as the philly series there were certain matchups that they exploited against him you know one of which being that uh final hard in three in game one of the eastern conference semis where the celtics lost it was a huge shot yeah, and then all the other questions of, you know, what do you do with Smart? What do you do with JB? What do you do with, you know, Brogdon's going to be here for a few years. Grant, I believe, is a restricted free agent, so right. it's not. So there's, Celtics could do some interesting things with it. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. It's unfortunate. I, I, I do like having Grant around a lot, but I feel like him and Pritchard are two guys where, as much as you hate to see them go, you could very much see it happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pritchard, obviously, I think has a lot of potential, and I would almost like to see him play more minutes than he currently does. So that, that may or may not translate into him playing for another team. But, and then, of course, the big question of head coach, because, you know, I don't think Missoula was a bad coach by any means. I think he's, a great guy. I, I generally like the energy he brought, but yeah, he was just really inexperienced. Yeah, he got exactly. thrown into a situation at the very last minute. And that that's tough for anyone, especially a guy with no head coaching experience. And as a win now team, that's not exactly the best formula for the Celtics. Uh I, I think they should keep Missoula around in the organization in some capacity i i just don't know about head coach like you need a guy that's gonna get the celtics their ring in the next year or two yeah you can't waste my 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 biggest fear as a celtics fan is is 
wasting Tatum and Brown's prime years circa, I, I would say the Oklahoma City Thunder of the early 2010s had KD, had Harden, had Westbrook, made it to an NBA Finals, but that was their first and last appearance altogether. Um, you, you would hate to see that happen. So it's 100%. all thinking about how to get there, get back to the finals next year, win banner 18. You know, every team wants to win their next ring or win their first ring. If you're the Denver nuggets, for example, but I also just want to add, you know, obviously as a Celtics fan, I can't swear I ever root for the Lakers, but I, I got to tip my hat to LeBron, you know, for having scored very close to a 40 point triple double mm-hmm. in an elimination game at 38. Uh, had 21 points in the first quarter, too, also worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Like, he he kind of came out guns blazing. And it's really fun to watch him still lead, you know, championship contending teams at that age. And it's one rings with multiple teams, too. It, it's very impressive stuff. And the Lakers were, I mean, you, you have a lot to be proud of from this year. Sure. Yeah, you got a lot of great role players. You, you know, didn't have a great game four, but Rui was an amazing midseason pickup for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Austin Re- Austin Reeves going him mode during yeah. the playoffs must have been a good time. So, yeah, I'm and pretty sure we just the, have the, to get the, rid of D'Angelo Russell and then just try to find yeah. a better uh role player just don't play or... him just don't play him against Denver like literally put him in for zero minutes and zero seconds yeah like you're a for D'Lo you are forbidden from playing against the Denver Nuggets <laughs> yeah he didn't do well at all um there's also something cool worth mentioning that uh Jamal Murray when he was injured his uh head coach actually found him on the team bus alone crying after one of the injuries he had and he pretty much just uh, confronted him. He was like, hey, why are you so down right now? And Jamal was like, um, I'm just damaged goods. You guys are probably going to trade me now. Like, I don't want to leave this team. And his coach just looked at him and he mm-hmm. said, no, you're not going to get traded. We're actually going to keep you here. We're going to go through, uh, have you go through the rehab process and come out better than you currently were, which was a little hard to believe because Everyone thought he was like surpassing, not even reaching his peak at back at the bubble, having multiple 50 point outings and just leading Denver to an Eastern Conference Finals berth or Western Conference Finals berth, excuse me. And then uh, you have him now coming back, beating that very team who ended up eliminating them in those Western Conference Finals three years ago. And uh, they're pretty much the favorites to win it all this season. So it's really inspiring to hear Coach Mike Malone just coach his players like that and actually care about them more from a humane perspective rather than a basketball perspective. And then little did he know when Jamal Murray was actually going through that, his inspiring words had Jamal go through the rehab process coming out stronger, like his coach alluded to. And now they're four wins away, just like the Miami Heat from winning it all, which is a perfect segue to previewing that finals matchup. What are your thoughts? A little, a little cool thing yeah. for you to consider before you answer is that uh, we have a graphic that TNT put out before, yes. the, uh, after this um, Boston Celtics um, shamble, should I say, in which they pretty much have identical three-point percentages. Both teams shoot 39% from three. The Heat have won their games by slightly less point differential at 4.2, whereas Denver won their games from an 8.3 point differential. Denver has more points in the paint. Um, they have 51 points in the paint as opposed to Miami's 44. Whereas where Miami shines is their bench and their defense. So you have Miami's bench coming out to a staggering 35.6 points per game. Whereas Denver's bench only contributes to 19 and a half points per game. And then you have the points off turnovers. So that's Miami stops, deflection steals, their grit, their grit, their nature. Um, they have 20 points off turnovers, whereas Denver only has about 14. So I know Denver's very favorite to a lot of people, but given that Miami just pulled it out by the skin of their teeth, what do you think? Yeah, so first things first, I, I'm i glad you mentioned that Jamal Murray, Mike Malone, 
interaction. I think we may have even briefly mentioned it in the last episode too, but I think that sort of is a huge insight into why the Nuggets are in the finals right now. You know, Mike Malone really believes in his guys, you know, knows they're all really good people, hard workers, you know, never stop believing in them. I mean, they had some playoff disappointments the last couple of years and maybe even some people are saying that Mike Malone doesn't have that dog in him or he's not going to be the guy that gets Denver to that next level, but they all knew what they had in them and they kept at it. You know, Murray had a very successful ACL surgery, post-surgery recovery. And now you get to see the files for it, as you mentioned as well. One of the few non-top 10 defenses to make it to the finals, but I think their body mass, as you mentioned, combined with just their their mental toughness, really helps them overcome that and allows them to play pretty close to like a top 10 defense, all while kind of steamrolling other teams on, on offense. Um, so looking at this specific finals matchup, there, there are a few things... I'm first going to lay out what what concerns me about the Nuggets. Uh, first things first is their depth. Um, just Miami is pretty much unbeaten in this league in terms of their depth. They have former former NBA champions like Kyle Lowry coming off their bench, and I mean it's worth mentioning he put up 15 points. I think in one of the, I think maybe in Game Two of the Eastern Conference Finals, like him and. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess all put up 15 points against the Celtics. So you just have a lot of different guys you can look to. Obviously, Jimmy is like your your number one option, and the Nuggets know that. But then you also have Bam, who was a little bit inconsistent offensively, but you know, provides great defense, can block those big shots. And then you have a lot of role players who can contribute offensively, though. Max Struess, as as Boston fans may say it now, Caleb fucking Martin. <laughs> but Caleb Martin was absolutely terrific this series, and I, I have no doubt he'll be terrific again in the finals. Um, and then, of course, Miami's defense is just super opportunistic with their with their points off turnovers. So I, I think if Denver, think if Denver lets the role players cook or they're too sloppy with the ball, I, I think that could spell real trouble for them. Uh, I think the problem for Miami, however, is you know Jimmy and Bam are really really inconsistent in this series, and they're gonna have to be able to respond to Jokic putting up again a 30-15-10 type of game. Like they they need to be able to punch back or you know Murray could easily put up thirty points as well. Like if if that's happening, you can't really just rely on Caleb Martin shooting like Steph Curry for them to win the finals. Like you need way more than that, and Denver's going to play them really tough physically, which Miami is a very physical and very tough team especially defensively but yeah Miami absolutely needs that offensive production and I think that's the thing that's going to give Denver the edge I think they can just keep scoring even if they have some defensive slumps you know they're they're just playing lights out offensively so my uh, semi-official prediction would be Nuggets in six I think the Heat will steal at least one or two games. But I, I just think the Nuggets are the better team in this go round. Yeah, I agree. Not that. not that I feel great about picking against the Heat because it seems to have not gone well anytime <laughs> us fans have done so. Uh why what are your thoughts, Vaud? Yeah, no, I kind of agree with the six game series outlook. I think both teams are very similar in terms of how they move the ball and try to get anyone on the floor the best shot in terms of how their ball movement kind of dictates their style of play I also think that Miami usually plays through Jimmy Butler in terms of like 
having everyone touch the ball in one possession and then just getting the best player, the best open shot, as well as how Jokic kind of dictates that offensive style of play as well, in which they would have a lot of possessions, which each of the five players on the on the court would touch the ball and then the ball would go back to the first person that passed it out for that sequence to shoot the ball or make that one more pass that would end up in that bucket. So I think they're both very unselfish teams. They both share the ball a lot to have high assist numbers throughout games, which pretty much leaves both players on both teams feeling like they want to fight more for those loose possessions or just making that right play on both sides of the court. So you have both teams with a very similar style of play. However, I think Miami's history kind of gives them a little bit of an advantage when it comes to their just pure reputation. They've been to the finals. They've won to the finals a lot more. From a pure franchise perspective, I think Miami has a slight edge. However, when you look at the teams and the personnel on those teams, it's obvious that Denver is very, very favored. They're actually a minus nine favorite right now going into the first wow. uh, game of the NBA Finals on Thursday, June 1st. So it's it goes without saying that they're the better team. They have a lot more better personnel for each position. They're also a longer team where Jokic is about 6'11 to 7 feet. And then you have Aaron Gordon, who's pretty much 6'9, 6'10. You have Michael Porter Jr., who's 6'10. And then you have their two dynamic guards, which can defend and shoot the three at very high rates at 6'4 and 6'5. Whereas you have Miami, was Gabe Vincent, who's about that 6'2 range. Struess and Caleb Martin are both 6'5. And then Butler is 6'7. And then Bam is 6'9. So they're a lot smaller, especially when they're benched. Like Kyle Lowry is barely six feet at 37 at this time in his uh, life. So... You have Duncan Robinson, which is a little bit on the taller end at 6'7", but he can't really defend. He's pretty much their three without the D go-to guy. So that's why he has very limited time on the court every time he does end up playing. Spolstra manages his minutes so he can pretty much just hide him on defense where he has to guard like a corner sitter for the other team on offense or anything along those lines. So when you do look at the teams, they're not that evenly matched when it comes to just size body mass, strength. I think the one thing that is a sort of kind of advantage when it comes to the Miami Heat is that they like to thrive in points in their paint department. And then Denver's paint defense isn't that good. So if Miami can mm -hmm. essentially just try to keep them honest when it comes to them defending the three-point line and stretch their defense... I forecast a lot of easy Butler and Bam cuts to the rim and like kind of free back doors or free layups in that regard because Jokic doesn't really defend the rim that much because he does everything else. So he gets a pass on that end. And you pretty much have Michael Porter Jr. who likes to stick out on the three-point line as well, given that he's a sniper on his own nature. So Aaron Gordon is pretty much their only like live in the paint and operate in the paint on both sides of the floor kind of guy. So if you try to do your best in terms of keeping him honest, guarding Duncan Robinson, for example, or like maybe a Jimmy Butler who shoots seven threes a game like he did today, then maybe Miami can rack up enough easy twos to kind of keep up with Denver's barrage of just shot making and pure skill and talent when it comes to them getting easy shots kind of goes back to the Boston series in game six late game where you had just super easy buckets where Tatum would just have an easy free backdoor layup and then Miami would have to like work 24 seconds to get a bucket with Jimmy Butler isolated to try to get himself or someone else the best shot so that's pretty much Miami's go or game plan when it comes to them going to the Denver Nuggets arena this Thursday, I think they have to focus on getting a lot of easy twos and keeping the defense honest and out, not in that zone, however, man-to-man -man on the three-point line so they can stretch the defense and then use their points in paint play style to their advantage. Because if they can't get easy buckets or easy twos, how they like to do at Miami, then it's going to be pretty difficult keeping up with Denver's barrage of just shot making, three point shots, and just like essential 
Jokic go-to circus shots in late game or late shot clock situations where he's pretty much shooting, I think, like four for four on that. Like he pretty much had four barrage circus threes in late shot clock situations against the Lakers. And all of them were swishes. So like when the team has you make a shot like that, that's a win for them because that's the worst possible shot that team could have taken, especially a team of Denver's nature where they're constantly trying to have off ball action and movement to try to facilitate getting that best shot. So I think Miami's only goal here is to try to overcome their weakness in Denver, which is protecting the paint and then have that be their strategy when it comes to stealing those few games we mentioned. And honestly, I think we've reached a point in these playoffs and now finals where we cannot estimate Jimmy Butler because even if he has a bad game, he's going to make his presence felt when it matters the most, which is what he's been doing. He's the eighth seed in the NBA finals, which is absolutely astronomical. Like go back more than 25 years and that has never happened in the NBA before. It's only the second time in 25 years that that's happened. So you can't really count him out, even though we kind of are right now. It's just foolish to do so, given how much he has proved over this very finals run he's had himself. Yeah, and that's why that's why I don't say like Denver sweep or Denver in five, because it is absolutely foolish to count out Jimmy Butler. He ultimately took the the I was worried for a little well not really worried as a Celtics fan, but it looked like, you know, maybe after game five or even game six that Jimmy had taken the whole don't poke the bear thing a little too seriously and perhaps had gotten in his own head. Um, But he overcame that really well today. You know, earned himself uh, Eastern Conference Finals MVP for however little we or much we put on that award. I don't put very much on it said the same thing last year but jimmy butler has proven he, that he's him throughout this playoffs you know f- first by eliminating the one seed bucks which i think fueled this entire run of miami's one one say it wasn't just that they beat the one seeded bucks it's that they beat them in five games yeah that that really gives confidence to anyone and and that was where jimmy's like you know what i kind of don't care we're an eight seed we're better than eight seed we're gonna go prove it and they sure as all hell have proven it um and as i talked about i think their depth will really help them i think that's going to hurt denver because if it does become a longer series say six games maybe even a seven game series uh if miami really play play their cards well that could really wear out Jokic, could really wear out Murray, who, even if he's fully recovered from his ACL tear, you, you know, that that's still there there's still lingering health issues surrounding that. So he he could start to feel it too. And you know, that could ultimately benefit Miami just having more guys they, they can put on the court who can score. Um I, I just find it hard to believe that Miami will be able to stop Jokic and Murray for seven games. Yeah. Uh, that That's, that's the reason. I, and, and I, I just think the mismatch in terms of size, body mass, I, I also think that's definitely going to play a role. Um, Maybe if I do think for one second about the coaching side, I gotta be honest. I, while I would say Spolstra is a better coach than Mike Malone, I don't think there's quite as much of a coaching disparity yeah. compared to even the uh compared to even the Eastern Conference finals we just saw. You know, Mike Malone's a very experienced seasoned veteran of a head coach, has been with the Nuggets for many years now, you know, especially with this core. And and I can tell that through those years they've really built some some strong relationships you know huge team chemistry and it really showed and obviously they've made additions like Aaron Gordon over the last couple of years that have really benefited them so 
yeah, all that to say, I, I think I think Denver's ready to make history. Yeah, I think they're going to win their first ever their first championship and their first ever appearance. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for today's episode. Pretty much covered everything we wanted to talk about. You have Denver on their way to making history in their own right and Boston failing to do so for their side. So honestly, it's been crazy. Meanwhile, Miami, just want to make sure we mention it, of course. We talked about Boston, Denver. Miami's going to play spoilers. They played spoilers on Boston's hopes of coming back from three and nothing, becoming the first of 151 teams to do so. And of the four teams that make it to seven games, Boston was the first to play at home, but that, that still didn't do the trick. You know, Miami was still, they wanted it too badly. Yeah. So, like how the Lakers went outside <laughs> because that's my team so pretty much uh enjoy this lakers uh lakers fan boston's fan dynamic we got going on but uh both of our teams are in the gutters so make you feel a little bit better about your night how my team pretty much got swept so we can talk about how lebron at 38 years old uh dropped the game high 40 points he had the, the most mm-hmm. points in a playoff half in his entire career at 31 he came out firing in the first quarter. He had a personal 8-0 run himself. He pretty much put the entire Lakers squad on his back. He was like, guys, we might want to pull like a sort of Boston hindsight 2020 run like they did. We are not going outside. We have this mentality where we have to keep striving for excellence and just always fight no matter what the odds are against us. And he went ballistic. He pretty much had a triple-double. He had 40, 10, and 9, and he's the oldest player to get 40 points in a playoff game in NBA history. However, he was no match for Jokic's insane circus shots against AD, which pretty much have been the case the entire series. It's just Jokic matching up with AD and then stepping back off one foot and draining a fadeaway three. So you can't do nothing at that. You can only smile at that because that is skill at its finest. And you pretty much cannot defend something like that once they're not even hitting rim. They're just swishing straight, nothing but net. You have Darvin Ham electing to finally bench D'Angelo Russell, which is a lot later than it should have happened, judging by his performances specifically in that series. And you also have him not choosing to go the Vanderbilt route and starting Rui Hachimura which was also a lot to, for Rui to handle himself because he ended up having his worst performance of the entire series, shooting 3 for 12 that game with only 10 points. So I don't think Rui himself adjusted to that um, like that tweak that late on in that series. And then you pretty much had the coach experimenting with Tristan Thompson and AD, which I think was a good call in hindsight, but I think he should have went to Tristan Thompson a little bit more Instead of Jared Vanderbilt, because of the Nuggets' sheer body mass and height and length, like even their tall players are like very heavy tall players. You got MPJ and Aaron Gordon at least 230 plus. And then Jared Vanderbilt is like barely 200 pounds at 6'8". So he was just no match for their strength inside, even though they're one of the least good teams when it comes to protecting the rim. They still have a lot of size and their offense is so historic that they are in the place that they are right now, which is a finals berth for the first time in franchise history without having a top 10 defense, which is an exception to the rule to all the teams we've seen reach the finals in the last 25 to 35 years. So being that the Denver Nuggets offense is so balanced and so historic within itself, is the reason that we see them on their first ever finals berth. And then just a few cool stats to throw your way here too. Um, I don't know why LeBron didn't really make that last play like he usually does. Remember in the bubble when he kicked it out to Danny Green and everyone came at him for not taking a wide open shot? Well, now he had Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon, and Jokic in his grill. And he still wanted to get a Euro step layup in when AD was open, like in that three point line free throw area. He could have like dribbled into a shot. 
or I would have probably taken him shooting 20% from three to try to win the game on an open shot or an open look rather than LeBron getting stuffed at 38 years old. I just don't think it was the right play. And then, uh, yeah, just going back to that, like a few cool stats. So you have Denver having their first ever series sweep. They've actually never swept the team as a franchise. So they did it in the conference finals against the Lakers, which is a hell of a place to start doing stuff like that. And then you also have the Nuggets in their attack premise, pretty much just running a screen action with Jokic and Murray every single time to try to foster a mismatch to get the switch on LeBron guarding Murray and then pretty much just go into town on him. Because even though Aaron Gordon was guarding LeBron most of the game, you had them trying to find those matchups to try to use in their favor, which is going back to what we were talking about earlier, what Boston should have done. That pick and roll and screen roll action with Jokic and Murray, if done with Brown and Tatum, could foster a lot more options to take care of what the defense would give you rather than just resorting to that hero ball offense we ended up seeing and then collapsing which was it, which was what the Nuggets are attempting to do on every single play. And we see them sweeping rather than almost pulling up a reverse sweep and then ending up losing regardless. Yeah, exactly. And I think the Nuggets, I mean, it helps, it helps when you have a guy who can almost reliably put up 30, 15, and 15 every game. Yeah, you have a second star who will very likely put up 30 points a game for you and who's notorious for having he put up multiple 50 point pieces in the bubble didn't he Jamal Murray yeah he had multiple I mean that that's sums up his ceiling in a nutshell he'll he'll give you the scoring you need yeah Jamal Murray's one of my favorite non-Celtics players personally and not just because he's Rep in Canada. Yes, sir. But he's a very hard worker. Great, great offensive player. I obviously admire a guy who comes back from two ACL tears. You know, really is really committed on on building something special in Denver. And, you know, even just by reaching the NBA finals, I would say that, that it's come to fruition quite a bit. Uh, now they're obviously hoping to finish the job and they got a very interesting squad with them. Obviously you have Jokic and Murray, but you also have Michael Porter Jr. who could provide some very good defense and a decent bit of scoring as well. Uh, you have Bruce Brown. He's a great role player. Also you got Jeff Green too, actually a former Celtic. He's a former everything. Yeah, I, he's a <laughs> he is one of those guys. He he's an NBA journeyman. He he sort of plays as a role player on a bunch of different teams. I mean that that's not a bad way to spend the latter half of your career, especially like post peak. You know, being a role player on a possibly NBA title team. It's a pretty good job to have. But yeah, no, um, Jeff Green definitely tried to finesse his way into very winning teams after his prime, which is what, like you just alluded to, getting him roles on very good teams post his prime as a role player. So he's definitely getting to where he wants to go. But him finessing a spot onto the Denver Nuggets, which are on their top and first finals berth, is definitely somewhere to be for any role player especially given that it's the year of the role player, particularly in the Eastern Conference, like we saw headlined by Caleb Martin. We have Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, just icing that game four in Boston, game two in Boston with his mid-range shot. Mm -hmm. And then you have Max Struess just being a reliable 3 and D guy, even though he was guarding uh, Derek White for that game six. Uh, He still showed up when he needed to in game seven. And uh and like uh the, and the guy the Celtics and the guy the Celtics cut too. So oh, I feel really? like Struce always plays with a little bit of a vengeance whenever he plays the Celtics because it's like, hey, you guys thought I wasn't good enough. I mean Struce tries his absolute best too. I mean, even in that uh 
game seven last year, he had that controversial play that was almost a three for the heat, but his his back heel stepped out of bounds. Oh yeah. But you yeah, yeah. And then he had he has he has gaffes like the end of game six, but no, I mean Struz usually plays very well against the Celtics, honestly. Yeah. I think uh I think Caleb Martin's officially on the list of guys who are uh quote unquote Celtics killers, just the types of guys who just go absolutely superhuman when they play the Celtics specifically. Yeah.